Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. My message, you can see the title is, Are You Desperate? How many of you know that desperation will make you do things that only desperation will make you do? In 1846, a group of people left Missouri, headed for California. They became known as the Donner Party. And the group was led by 60-year-old George Donner, who had no experience to lead such a track. And ultimately, the group took a shortcut that led to them being stranded for four months, eventually finding themselves on the edge of winter. After the few survivors were rescued, Many recounted, uh, recited accounts of cannibalism. Almost half of the party died before rescue efforts were made, and by that point, the living had resorted to eating the dead. Desperation will make you do things. And that story should rightly gross you out. And while it's not my point to just gross you out, it's my point is to get you to understand something. Desperation will make you do things nothing else can make you do. Some of you stayed up all night praying for a child that was sick. Now, if that child kept you up just because that child was being a kid, didn't want to go to sleep, you'd be all angry, upset, and, you know, resorting to things in desperation that you'd otherwise not ever do. But in this case, you were willing to stay up all night because you were desperate for God to break through for you, praying for that child. You might do the same thing for a spouse parent. My point in bringing this forward today is to relate it to your faith factor. Relate this to your faith factor. I'm wondering if anyone listening to me right now is desperate enough to believe God to do something they've never seen. Are you willing to put God to the test in terms of activating your faith? Look at your neighbor right now and say, you better activate your faith. Now look back at them and say, I'm counting on you to activate your faith. (laughs) 
Are you willing to launch out in a different direction, in a different manner, if you will, in, in, in order to, because you're at a level of desperation? Are you content where you are? Are you willing to get desperate at a time that it doesn't appear to need desperation? Hmm. Because that's where your faith weighs in. Are you willing to get to the place where you'll act out of desperation when it's not actually desperate? Oh, I'm talking to those of you who are in desperate situations right now, but, but I'm wondering if there's anybody that's hearing my voice, this preacher's voice, crying out right now at Central Assembly of God, are you going to get desperate enough in faith, believing God, that the year 2020 is not going to be like any other year? Oh, I'm grateful for everything that God has done at Central Assembly of God. I'm content from a pastoral standpoint that we're in a good place. But I don't want to stay here. I'm not content enough to stay in this spot. All of the good that God has done does not measure up to what I know God can do. I'm wondering if I've got people that are listening to me that are just that same kind of desperate that you will believe God with me that the year 2020 is going to be the best year that Central Assembly of God has ever experienced. That wasn't convincing enough to me. I'm wondering if there are enough people in this room that will transform the atmosphere. You'll get up off your seat and you'll shout praises to God for about 10 seconds that you're going to believe him that 2020 is different than any year in our past. I don't want to stay this way. I want to see God do more than God has ever done. Ever. Ever. In our history. All right, you heard him, Lord. You heard him, Lord. We've got to make our faith come alive if we're going to see God do things differently. We're going to look at the story of a man who did this, who acted out of desperation before it got desperate. It's recounted in the New Testament. It's about Noah. I'm going to read from the New Testament first, Hebrews 11, verse 7. Some of you know this as the Hall of Faith. The chapter is called the Hall of Faith. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. Are you listening? He warned him about things that had never happened before. That's where faith comes in. Noah had to believe God for something that had never happened before. He had to believe God on a whole different level. He had to trust God someplace that he had never gone. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. 
So I want to see your faith come alive this morning. And I, I'm going to state it this way. Noah was a man God could invest in. That's the kind of man Noah was. He was a man God could invest in. Look at what Genesis 6, 9 says regarding Noah. So this is God's word speaking about a man. This is from Genesis 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. So what are we going to look at first? I'm going to break this scripture down in three parts. Look at what it says. First, Noah was a righteous man. A righteous man. God looked at Noah and found that he treated people with a godly mindset and manner. He was a righteous man. All right, let me teach you a little something. It's Sunday morning. Y'all can be taught something, right? Say amen. amen. I've said it before, so this is not news. But most of us sit through sermons and we just skim the surface. So this is what I mean when I say I want to teach you something. I want you to catch this because this is important. When the scriptures say of Noah, he was a righteous man, righteousness is how I treat you. And, I, and I'm not saying that like it's just about me. Righteousness is how you treat each other. So when God looked at Noah, God could see a man who he knew treated other men well. You want to know why God needed Noah to be a righteous man? Because Noah would be, begin to preach to men, and he looked for a man. God looked for a man that he could trust would teach and preach the truth and treat these others well even though they would ignore him ultimately. Noah was a righteous man, and God says that of Noah. Righteous people treat other people well. Do you? Do you? The, can God look at you and know that you're worth investing his, his confidence in? Can God put something on your shoulders like he did Noah and trust that you'll take it through to completion? Noah was a righteous man. Noah secondarily was a blameless man. A blameless man. And so negative accusation could not be brought against Noah. I want you to think about that for a moment. He was blameless. Wow. The only blameless person living on earth at the time. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. I didn't, that's not just me making that up. That's what the scripture says. We just read it a moment ago. Genesis 6, 9 said that regarding 
Noah. The only amongst millions of people, Noah was the only blameless person living on earth at the time. If you read all of the scriptures in that zone, you'll find out that God looked down and that everything men did was evil. It, it still boggles my mind. We're still trying it today. We're still trying between psychology and science. We're trying to make men out, people out to do good. They won't. It won't happen that way. That's what the scriptures refer to when it says you are born in sin. Your nature is not to do good. It's the opposite. You need a heart change so that you begin to do what is good and right. Noah was a blameless man. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, Noah walked in close fellowship with God. Noah didn't know about God. Noah knew God. Amen. And I want you to pay attention to the words that I have underlined there. He wasn't just in fellowship with God. He was in close fellowship with God. That means something. It means something to me. There's some of you I know, but I ain't close to you. I don't just mean in proximity. I mean, I, it, it runs the entire gamut. I know some of you. I know of some of you. I recognize some of your faces, but I don't know you. Now, there are a few people I know. I know about them. I know their life. I know a little bit about their past. I know where they've come from. But there's only a handful that I really know. And truthfully, there's only one I really know. All right, so all of you made sense out of that. But, but look at what the Word says. Noah walked in close, and look at the second word, fellowship. Look at your neighbor right now and say, fellowship isn't one way. It's not one way. You can't have fellowship with yourself. If you're having fellowship, there's two people. And if it's genuine fellowship, it's both ways. So look at this with Noah. He was in close fellowship with God. That's what the Word says of Noah. There's a couple people like that in the early days in the Scripture. Enoch was another one. He walked with God and he was not because God took him. He didn't even die like humans die. God just said, you know what? You've done good, dude. You don't even have to suffer the pains of death. Just come be with me. Well, let's let our fellowship continue on a second level. But Noah was like that with God, close fellowship with God. I've been trying to, tell, trying to tell you guys. My tongue's getting ahead of my brain. Been trying to tell you guys since the start of this year in every message 
When we talk about prayer and fasting and prayer, it's not about you just me making you do something you don't typically do. It's about you coming into close fellowship with God because I want you to know God and I want God to know you. That, that God has the ability to, that he knows he can trust you. That if he asks you to do something, he can trust you'll do what he asks you to do. He did that with Noah. He knew when he asked Noah. Because we, we're, we're going to take this a little further. When we see what he asked Noah to do, I mean, come on. This is not your average request. This isn't, honey, would you pick me up a drink while you're in the kitchen? Bring it back out here for me. That's not that. Mm -mm. If you've gained anything during this time of prayer and fasting, it ought to be that you become close with God. That's the point. It's not a, it's not a diet. It's not a New Year's resolution diet. Nope, nope, nope. If you thought of it that way, then you missed it. Now, if you fasted and prayed, you probably lost a few pounds. It happens. But you should have gained closeness with God. That's more important than any weight you may have lost. Can God invest in you? Can God put confidence in you? Can I, can I put it relative to perhaps the places where you're employed they would say something like this to you. Do you present a good investment portfolio to God? You know, if you, if you invest, and I, I'm sure a few of you do. If you have an investment, if you have a retirement, you want the people that cover that portfolio to make sure that you're invested in good things that bring good results. God's looking at you the same way. Can he invest in you? And know that if he puts his confidence, if he puts something at your feet, that you'll take care of it to the end? So what did Noah do? He obeyed God. That's what the scripture says regarding Noah. Now this sounds simple, maybe even easy, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was not simple, nor was it easy. I want you to think about this again. I, I said it a moment ago, but Noah was a singular standout among all the people of the earth. A singular standout of all the people of the earth. Noah was that. All the people. You have an edge that Noah didn't have. See that cross behind me? You have an edge Noah didn't have. Because that cross represents the edge you have. Because Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price. He exchanged his righteousness for your filth. Your guilt. Jesus wiped it away by his work on the cross. If you've invited him into your heart, if you've asked him to be your Lord and Savior, if you've invited him to forgive you of your sins, he's done that based on his already work on the cross. You have an edge Noah didn't have. 
Sounds simple, sounds easy, but it was not simple, nor was it easy. Come on, think about it for a moment. If you know anything about the ark, it was 450 feet long. And as wide as from the outside of that edge of that pew to the outside edge of that pew. That's how wide this was. They did not have circular saws. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have power saws. They didn't have the stuff even that you and I look, can look back and, and see. They didn't have a, a big uh, water wheel that turned something, that turned a saw. No. Everything they cut, they cut by hand. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. He builds a boat that's 45 feet deep, 45 feet wide, and 450 feet long, the entire length of a football field with three levels. All of it this way. I want you to think about this for a moment. He has to gather tar and pitch to coat the wood with, all in a hostile environment that thinks he's a nutcase. You're on your own, dude. You can be crazy all on your own is what every one of his neighbors thought because he's going to have to build this boat in his backyard. And here's what I'm telling you. I want you to watch this, watch this next point. He put into action that which God had spoken without anything more than that spoken word. Okay, okay, God, okay, okay. So you're going to flood the earth. And you want me to save everybody, Lord. I, I get that. That's, that's pretty amazing. I get that. Could you just show me a little rain? I mean, you know, it's kind of a lot. Lord, I, you know, this is a little weird. This is a little odd. Not for a day. Not for a week. Not for a month. Not for a year, <laughs> for a lifetime. He had to believe God was going to do something that he had never seen done. It had never happened before the moment that it happens. Noah has to launch out in faith and stay at task day in and day out with nobody to back him up. He has to recruit his children. He has three boys with funny names. I know, they're funny to us. Shim. Ham. And Japheth. Japheth, okay. But Shim? Ham? I had that yesterday. If you cannot act, hear me, 
Hear me. It's in your notes. Write it down. Pay attention. Underline it. If you cannot act based on God's spoken word, you will never experience the miraculous. It doesn't happen unless you act based on his spoken word. It doesn't happen. So that sounds easy, but it's not easy. It's the nature of faith to take action before you see results. Noah didn't do that for a day, week, month, a year even. Yeah. Hey, how many college graduates do we have? Yeah, you can put up with four years, right? You'll bust it for four years because you know there's coming a day. Four years, some of you that are overachievers, six years. You know, you're going into the medical field, now you're on year eight. Okay, you can do that, but Noah. And, and okay, you can debate if it was actually, because it, it, we, we don't really know if it was 120 years. I know some of you think it was 120 years, but regardless, it was a lifetime. It didn't happen in a few years. It didn't. There's no possible way. When you think about the magnitude of what he had to build, no. It didn't happen in just a couple years. Mm -mm. He got more than a master's degree. He got a tripled PhD and did his residency and 20 plus years of service before there was any. He still didn't have a sign. Hey, Noah, check this out. Watch. I'm going to push you. I, I'm going to have, here's a rain cloud. I have some rain for you, Noah. Just check it out. No. No. If you do not act in obedience to what God has already spoken to you, you can't expect to receive the blessing that is to follow. It's in your notes. Write it down again, underline it, if you do not act. We've got to move past the point of talk. If you want to see faith really matter, if you want to see faith come uh, uh, to fruition, you have to act in obedience to what God has already spoken to you, you cannot expect to receive the blessing that is to follow if you do not act. Noah doesn't get to live if he doesn't do this. And guess what? If he doesn't build the structure according to God, because the scripture says Noah did exactly what God asked him to do. It doesn't say he came close. We spend our time negotiating with God for a difference. Come on, God. Could you just let me build one big enough for me? God, you take care of that. You're believing God to provide you with an income, with extra income. God comes along and shows you a job you could do and earn some extra income. Ah, oh, Lord, I want you to send it in the mail. 
That's not what I had in mind, Lord. Noah doesn't negotiate with God and say, you know, Lord, you could build this better than I could. There's no negotiation. We typically negotiate with God and we twist it and mangle it to fit our circumstance, our way, the way we want to believe God should do it. I think it's safe to say that Noah's situation can be called desperate. How about you? It's pretty desperate. And here's what I want you to catch. This is what today is about. Noah had to begin to think differently because the situation required it. He couldn't remain thinking and operating like he did before God spoke to him. Otherwise, he never receives the blessing. Are you? Do you come on. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to apply that principle to your life. Really? You have to apply the principle in your situation, in your story. You have to apply it. Not just talk it, but take action based on faith. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Faith alive turns to faith in action. I mean, real faith that is alive must turn to action. So Noah, here it is, Genesis 6, It's right here in the Word. So Noah did everything. You see it's underlined? Highlight it. Exactly as God had it commanded him. Noah did. He didn't talk. Didn't chatter on about it. He didn't, he didn't go he did five ways to float your vision so people catch on. He didn't write a book series. He got busy chopping wood, finding tar and pitch. All right, boys, here we go. We're going to start this project. Dad, really? What are we building? Well, it's a big boat. I mean, a really big boat. God told me to tell you it's 450 feet long. Have you figured that out, Dad? How many trees that... Really, Dad? Oh, where are we going to build this? Oh, we're going to do it in the backyard. So, we're building a boat in our backyard. So, this isn't a tree house. It's going to take uh, 5,000 trees to build this house, boat. Now, I could go on and on, but you're getting the picture you can't help but marvel at the faith steps required of Noah because this is a huge project that took years. It took a lifetime by any of our standards, a lifetime. Now, Noah lived to 600 and something. So by his standards, even if it was 120, you know, it's like a fifth of his life. 
So if the average person lives 75 years, that means a project that takes something like 15 years. I did that pretty good. That was just in my head, people, just now. I'm going to have to give Holy Ghost credit for that. Something like that. Thinking about it for a moment, it just blows my mind. And he would have faced much ridicule as he engaged his faith. Because neighbors, you know, they're not always with you, are they, when you're weird? And, and Noah, Noah's family had to believe and take action with him. They had to believe and take action. Okay, Dad, you heard God say this? Seriously, God, I mean, Dad, seriously, Dad, where were you last night? I know I had the same wine that you had, but this is a little out there, Dad. Are you sure that God didn't mean, you know, you share this with the whole neighborhood and they all join us in building this. I don't even know where Tar is, Dad. They had to believe and act with him. They had to take action with him. If they don't, the project isn't completed, and they don't get the blessing either. I hope I'm talking to somebody that's listening here this morning that's going to believe God with me that 2020 is going to be a year beyond anything we'd ever imagined as a church body. And it wasn't enough to think positive or, or in faith for a week or a month or a year. Every miraculous work of God is not instantaneous. I'm all for the instantaneous. How about you? God fix it now. That's better, isn't it? It's better. Every miraculous work of God, however, is not instantaneous. In fact, I'll say it this way. Some of God's actions require consistent or lifestyle of faith. A consistent or lifestyle of faith. Look at your neighbor right now and say, do you have a lifestyle of faith? Not enough to have a little faith or enough for today. You got to have a lifestyle of faith if you're going to walk like Noah walked. Yeah, I agree, sister. Help me. Help me, Lord. Because... This is out there. 15, 17 years. Just, just using that as a measuring stick compared to, to Noah's life. Think about that for a moment. This is the kind of stuff that shaped Joseph. Because from the point he had the dream to the moment he's in position to make a difference in everybody's life was about 17 years. Look how God used Joseph. Oh, now I'm walking in the Holy Ghost. 
I'm talking in the Holy Ghost. Because this is how lives are shaped. And God had to depend on Noah, not for a couple of days. This was a lifestyle of faith. He had to walk out. Didn't matter what people thought of him. Didn't matter what the next person in the workstation thought. How weird they thought he was. Didn't matter what the neighbors thought of this uh, huge. I, you know, did you get a permit for this, Noah? I think you were on my yard now. This thing is blocking my view. I don't even get a sunrise anymore. Have you seen what Noah is doing over there? I'm, I'm going to the town council. I got a problem with this. Zoning's going to hear what I think. So, yeah, I'm putting it in your terms. I'm putting it in a language that I hope you understand, and, yeah, that it makes you laugh, but I want you to get the point. Noah had to do this while people were looking at him thinking he's a nutcase. I know I heard you, Lord. I know I heard you. I know I heard you, Lord. I know it. I know it. Dad, are you sure that's not the tar pitch getting to you? Been smelling them fumes a little long, Dad. We ain't got the floor laid yet. It's five years. So God's, God's talking to him. He's having to deal with all of this lifestyle of faith. How many of you uh, have ever had something done in a microwave that turned out unacceptable? <laughs> Speaking of tar and pitch, you pitched it. That I'm starting over. This ain't working for me. I'm going to have some eggs because that's, I'm hungry and I want something quick. Let me bring this thing to a conclusion. Faith in me. Let's call it faith in me. From Hebrews now, back to Hebrews, the hall of faith chapter I talked about a moment ago. Verse 6 this time, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not, obviously, I'm not talking about faith in your personhood. Uh, I, you need to be a faithful person. Like God is faithful, we need to be faithful. That, that is fruit of the Spirit, that we are faithful, that we can be counted on, that we can be trusted to fulfill the things that are, are asked of us. That's, that's faithful, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the faith you possess. You, because you can't ride the coattails of somebody else's faith for the miraculous in your own life. You can't get the residual of the miraculous in somebody else's life and their faith. But if you want it to happen for you, you've got to have faith. Let me say it to you this way. How many of you, how many of you enjoy watching someone eat a fantastic meal? You enjoy, I, yeah, the cooks out there, you enjoy watching someone eat what you've prepared. I know Jose does it. 
I know he does. He likes it because he won't even eat. He'll just watch you eat. What he spent hours preparing. He and Maria, I've seen it. I've been there. I've ate it. And so, yeah, you enjoy watching someone eat a fantastic meal that you've prepared. I did it yesterday. Did it just yesterday. Ham. My wife said on Friday, what do you think about tomorrow if we have a ham dinner? I said, I think that's awesome. (laughs) And then these little wheels start churning in my head because I like to cook. But I like to cook because I like to eat. (laughs) And so I'm thinking about how I'm going to season that ham. I'm going to rub it with honey, and I'm going to put it in my smoker for five hours at 225 degrees. And when that thing is done, it'll be falling off the bone, melting your mouth sweet, and some of that cinnamony nutmeggy stuff all over it and can I get an amen hallelujah and while I can tell you and there and we added to that rutabaga Mm. glory to God hallelujah did that in the instapot Ten, ten minutes, tender, threw in a whole stick of butter, mashed it up. Some of you never, how many of you never had rutabaga? Raise your hands. See, if you've never had rutabaga, you don't love God and your feet stink. That's something my brother would say who's going to be up here in a couple of weeks. Y'all tell him I said that to you. Now, it's, it's in the turnip family, has a little bit of that flavor to it, but it's better than turnips. And, and you mash it like potatoes and season it right. I even use adobo for all of you Puerto Ricans. <laughs> See, y'all know I was, on, I was in the spirit then, wasn't I? No, I'm sorry, Lord. I don't, I'm not going to blame you for that. Listen, I enjoy watching my family enjoy that meal. But I enjoyed eating the meal. And the reason I'm telling you all of this, making all of this come home to you and make sense, I hope, to you, is because I want us to move past the point of where we're just enjoying the faith of others till it comes home to my place. My place, my situation, my story. That's the whole point. This message is to get you fired up about your own faith in order to see God takes action in your life. I'm glad for everything God did in his word. I love God's word. And his word brings life to me, builds my faith. I love reading those stories, but I don't want to just read this story. I want to live this story. 
And so here's my point. Are you desperate enough to believe God for the supernatural in your life? If we're going to believe, if we're going to see God do something different, then that means we need to operate differently. Come on, look at your neighbor right now. Say, no more, same old, same old. What you used to do doesn't work. It got you where you are, but if you want to see God do something different, you're going to have to operate differently. We can't expect to see different results doing the same thing to achieve them. It doesn't make sense. Some of the men in the church expressed an interest in hunting deer, and they know I'm a deer hunter. And specifically, they wanted to do it with a bow and arrow. I want you guys to understand something. You don't go to a garage sale, pick up a bow, and think you're going to go out next year hunting. It does not work that way. The bow doesn't fit you. You can't just pick up a bow. You don't even know if you should be shooting it with your right hand or your left hand. How many of you know what a dominant eye is? Every single one of you have one. All of you have a dominant eye. You have to determine that thing before you try to pick up a bow to shoot it. It'll help you with the aiming process. So these guys come to me and say, what do we do? Put them on the path. You can't operate the same way you always operated if you want to see a different result. If you want to be effective and actually get a deer when you go hunting, then you got to learn how to hunt. It's not just about even knowing how to shoot a bow. you got to be a hunter. They don't, in spite of what you think, because you see them out in your backyard eating your plants, they're not stupid. <laughs> Trust me on that one. I know you've called them stupid, especially after they ran in front of you and you hit them. I've had them run into me. I mean, hit me in the side of my vehicle. Like you didn't see me, dude. <laughs> Pig blue van. Didn't you see it? Apparently not. If we're going to see more of the supernatural in our lives, then we are going to have to do the things that foster the activity of the supernatural. I may not have said anything more important in this message today than that line. If we're going to see more of the supernatural, then we are in our lives, then we are going to have to do the things that foster the activity of the supernatural. This is the very reason that we uh, start the year with fasting and prayer. I want you to grow in your sensitivity and connection to God. Because here's what we're doing when we fast and pray. It's not just a diet. I'm glad for you if you lost some weight. I did. I lost some weight. I do every time at the start of the year, I lose some weight. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Lost about 10 pounds. But 
It's, it's not a diet. Here's what we're doing. When I ask you to fast and pray, and then we have many moments in the church. We had a week where every night we're gathered for prayer, along with some of the other daytime prayers. It's we're practicing the presence of God. I want you to grow in your ability to commune with God. Hear it again. Noah was in close fellowship with God. <laughs> close fellowship. Not just fellowship, but close fellowship with God. It was communal. It was back and forth. Noah didn't just talk at God, he talked with God. And God knew him. Practicing the presence of God. I want you to get used to being in the presence of God. I want you to discover the pathway to the presence of God. And it starts, however, knowing God in his word. Get your foundation in the word. Build the foundation in God's word. Get to know God in his word. Because the Bible is filled with mighty people, uh, uh, the mighty power of God working through people. Hear that. It's the mighty power of God, but he's working through people. How many of you are people that are here today? Raise your hands. That means you're a candidate. But in the scriptures, you see people of all walks of life, God uses. Male, female, powerful women of God, young, God uses them. My favorite Old Testament king, not really David. I'm sorry, I apologize, but it's not really David. I love David. But my favorite is Josiah. You learn your Old Testament kings and you, Josiah, wow. He became king at such a young age that he had to be taken under the wing. Thank God of a, a good high priest. And he showed him the way of God. And when Josiah was old enough to make any decisions, one of the first things he did is he said, I want y'all to tear down every one of those high places that are for other gods. There's only one God in Israel. I want them all torn down. We're going to worship God. And then he brought the Bible back into the worship. And they sat and listened to the word being read. Wow. Great king. God used young and not so young. He used some old people too. I want you all to hear that. That are not 25 or 35 or even 45. Yeah, I want you to hear it if you pass what they call retirement age. God used some people that weren't youngins. He's not bound by how you think, how we think. Let the young people do that. They have the courage and the strength. They can get out there and beat the bush. I put in my time. Are you telling God you're done before he's saying you're done? Uh-oh. All right, I know I've gone to meddling. Let me go on now. 
here's a Bible character I want you to catch and the way he did things. It's Elisha. Maybe you need to attach yourself to those who operate in the supernatural. Let, let me give you a little backdrop before we read the scripture that we're going to read. This is Elisha. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that Elisha followed Elijah. All right? So the J is before the S. That'll help you just in your head. Elijah came first. Elisha is his protege, his assistant pastor. He's the one that came alongside Elijah. Now, God had told Elijah to go anoint or put your clothes. What he did is he took his clothes off. He saw Elisha in a field, plowing in a field, and he saw him there, and he took his coat off. He ran over to Elisha, and he put his cloak or his coat on Elijah, Elisha. Elijah put his coat on Elisha. God had told him to do that. Elijah said, okay, okay. I know this is for real. Let, let me do something. Let me do something. So what he did, he unhooked the oxen from their yoke, which was made of wood, chopped that wood up, put a pile, made that a pile in the wood. Then he killed the oxen, and he sacrificed that oxen to the Lord right then and there. And the scriptures say all of their friends, families, neighbors, the whole neighborhood got to enjoy what was his sacrifice or his offering. So he left the farm, followed Elijah everywhere he went, every day he was there. When God did these miracles, great miracles, Elisha was there. And then it comes down to the to the last days of Elijah's life. And they're wandering around. They're together. And they go come across these prophets. They, they often had what they called schools of prophets in that day and in that time. And they'd be gathered in various cities. They were, yeah, they were teaching them how to operate as a prophet. And I, I'm not saying they were ungodly. I'm saying these are, this is what they did. It's presented in the scriptures. And obviously on this thing that I'm about to tell you, I'm not going to make you read the whole story, but everywhere they went, they'd run into these prophets. And you know what they'd say to Elisha? They'd say to Elisha, you do know your master's about to go to heaven, don't you? This is his last day. He'd say, yeah, I know. That's why I'm hanging with him. This happened to him three times. They'd run into these group of prophets and they'd say to Elisha, you do know that your master is about to go. Elijah would say, yeah, I do know that. I'm not going to turn him loose. And so I want you to read this scripture with me. Look at it. Here from, this is in 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Here we are. Fifty men from the group of prophets also, this was the last group, fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance. Hear it? They went and watched from a distance. That's an important word. They went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak, 
together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. Then when, then when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. Now listen, he's already heard three times over something he already knew that this was the time when Elijah would be taken away. Read the last verse. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you read this in the whole passage, if you get the whole story, when Elijah goes to Elisha, the scriptures say that God had told Elijah to anoint him. Elisha, he is going to be your successor. But Elisha's now saying, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He doesn't stop asking at just getting the successor position. The successor position had already been decided. You've got to hear me when I say this. You've got to know that this is in the Word of God. Because Elijah was told by God to put his coat or cloak on Elisha because he is going to be your successor. But Elisha had to take some faith steps to stay in possession or position to be Elijah's successor. If Elisha is not in this place at this moment, he doesn't become his successor. But Elisha says, I want to take it to the next level. Somebody shout hallelujah to go to the next level. I'm ready to go to the next level. Are you in 2020? You want to go to the next level? You want 2020 to be different from 2019 or 2009? 2009. 2009? I can guarantee you 2009 will be different. I digress. I want 2020 to be different than any other preceding year. And so here's what happens. Elisha takes it to the next level. And he says, I want a double share of your spirit. What you got is great. It's awesome. It's been a pleasure serving you all of these years. Because that's what he did. We can talk about it all we want, but he was his servant. He's the guy that was, he was the catcher man. That's Elisha for years. He's that guy. Getting a little bit of the residual anointing when it falls on him. That's Elisha. He's his assistant. Need some water, Elijah? You, you look dry. Yeah, man, can you, can you help a brother out? That's Elisha. But then it comes to this moment, and Elijah sees him. Elijah knows what's going on, folks. This is, none of this caught Elijah. Elijah's the guy that hears God saying what's happening in another man's camp. So he knows what's going on here. What do you want? 
I want a double share of your spirit. But look at what, look at Elijah's response. You've asked a difficult thing. You've served me all of these years. You've followed me all of these years. You've heard everything I've preached. You've seen the miracles. You've seen it all. But you still, he's telling Elisha, you still have to have faith to the final moment or you don't get this. You've asked a difficult thing. So Elijah replied, if, I, if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. How many of you know it ain't over till God says it's over? It ain't enough to believe God for the right now. It's enough to believe God for every minute of right now. To the last minute. I know this bill is due, and I know you got my back, God. I'm still believing you. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know where it's going to come from. I know you're going to make it happen. So Elijah... Elijah sticks by his side. There are many, come on, I want you to circle this in your notes. I want you to catch this. There were many prophets like Elisha who didn't get the same anointing as Elisha because they didn't do what he did. At this point, it's all about the doing, not about the talking. There, listen, there were 50 in the last prophet, group of prophets that said it to Elisha. They were standing in a distance. Do you remember when I told you, pay attention to that word? They were standing in a distance. I don't want to stand in a distance. I want to be smack dab in the middle of it. It's going to dribble on me. I want all God has for me. So my question for you this morning before we close this thing down, are you desperate enough with God to get in his presence enough and not just declare his mighty power, but see it demonstrated? I, I'm tired of the declarations. I love you folks, and I love the preachers that talk their declaration and all that. I decree and declare. I don't want to hear any more decree and declare. I want to see the demonstration. I want to walk in it. I want to smell it. I want to taste it. I want to feel it. I want to be in it, not hear it talked about. I know what, what God's Word declares. I want to see God's Word in action. How about you? If I've got 10 people like that in this audience right now, I want you to stand up to your feet and shout your praise to God like you're believing God will do something beyond the natural in your own life. I believe it, Lord. I'm ready, God. I'm ready, Lord Jesus. I don't want just to make the declaration with my mouth. I want to see it happen because you are God. You're in the middle of it, smack dab in the middle of it. Bow your head, close your eyes for just a minute for me. Please, nobody walk around. Nobody, none of, none of the, the stuff that often distracts people at the end of a service. I want you to, I want you to be still for a minute. 
First things first. Maybe you're here and you've heard all the shouting and all the carrying on and this preacher shouting and spitting and carrying on like a maniac himself. But possibly, it's possible that you're here right now and you're not in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't made things right with God yourself and you've got to tend to your own situation. Listen, if there's a question mark on whether you would spend eternity with God, you want to remove that question mark today. If there's, you know what the Word says? The Word says this. This is Jesus actually talking when He makes this statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's the word, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you've not invited Jesus to come into your heart or forgive you of your sins, that means you're not headed to heaven. It's that simple because he said, I'm the way. you got to go through him. He's the doorway. He's the path. And if you're here today, and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and there, there may be this question mark on if Jesus were to take you home today, if something were to happen, and, and this, if the flowers were in bloom that will dawn your own grave, and you wonder if I'd spend eternity in heaven, you want to remove that question mark. Lift your hand right now. Lift your hand right where you're at, up high, and you say, I need to remove that, that question mark. I want to know that I know without any question. Thank you. Is there somebody else? Thank you. Thank you. Glory to God. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your openness. And here's what I got to do. Now, I'm going to talk to you other believers in a moment, but, but those of you that just raised your hand, and you mean business. This is not a play game. This is not a maybe so thing. And, and there are sometimes like, like Elisha had to act based on what he knew and understood and believed, like Noah had to act on it. There's this moment where you need to act on that raised hand and come out of your seat and come to this altar right now. Would you do that? Would you come out of your seat, push past people, Take them along with you. If you're with somebody, there's somebody with you that, that'll, that'll walk with you. Come on. Come on. Come on. We got time for you. Come on. you mean business with God now's that moment it's your moment to come forward receive Christ as your Lord and Savior still got time I saw another hand that's why I'm pausing we got room for you we got time for you you raised your hand come on this is why we have church maybe you didn't raise your hand but you know you need to come and get things right with the Lord today don't let me just pray with this one guy. First of all, I want to just greet you, my brother. It's good to see you. God bless you. Let's pray this prayer. You say it with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Give my heart to you. 
wash away my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Because you died for me. That I may be forgiven. And thank you, Lord, that that grave couldn't contain you. You proved your power over death. And you give me life. From this moment, I am yours. Amen. Welcome to the kingdom of God. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us? either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel, not only to the Lehigh Valley, but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.